BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder. The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills. Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Explore more stories like Shayna's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hi, I'm Sif Heider, the founder of Array. I'm a wellness entrepreneur and digital creator, and this is my show, The Dream Bigger Podcast. Listen, I love dreaming big, but you know what I love more? Actually having the resources to make those big dreams happen. And hey, dreams can sometimes be private jets, but other times they can look a little something like having the best skin of your damn life or starting a successful business or delving into spirituality. So on this podcast, I chat with experts and thought leaders from different fields about their tips and tricks on doing exactly that. So let's get right into it. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of the Dream Bigger Podcast. So I'm really excited to bring you today's episode because it's with Natalie Holloway, the co-founder of Bala Bangles. So I first met Natalie a few months ago at a lunch for other female entrepreneurs. And I remember meeting her and just being shocked because I thought that Bala with like all the hype around it and just being this like cult favorite fitness brand, I just figured that, you know, it would be this like very large operation. They'd have raised a ton of money. You know, the founders would maybe be a little bit stuck up. It was definitely not the case. Natalie is probably one of the sweetest, most down to earth people I've met. Their team is nimble. And I was completely just in awe to learn that the only round of funding they have ever raised is from Shark Tank, which was obviously on national television. They raised money from Mark Cuban and Maria Sharapova. And that is literally it. So, you know, Bala is an awesome example of a brand who has built this um, kind of pervasiveness and occult following with very, very scrappy marketing budgets, um, kind of like a very hands-on DIY approach from the founders who are obviously like very smart people. I admire Natalie so much. I always learn from her and always come out of our conversations kind of like refreshed and inspired. And that's kind of how I felt after doing this episode. So I hope you guys take a lot away from it. And of course, if you're not familiar with Bala, I didn't even bother explaining because it's such a well-known brand, but it is a fitness brand. Essentially, they do hand weights. That's kind of how they started. They redid the 80s hand weights, you know, the ones that you'd wear on your wrist, I guess, wrist weights and ankle weights. They just completely disrupted that market altogether. And they've been doing like they're a really interesting take on household fitness items like hand weights and blocks. And it's just very aesthetic, very beautiful and super, super cool. So I'm so excited for you guys to listen in on this conversation. I think there are so many actionable tips for anyone, you know, who is looking to start a brand who doesn't know where to start. We really get granular on details and Natalie does not hold back. I admire her because there's no gatekeeping when it comes to like her tricks and tips and tricks for being the founder of a great brand. So excited to bring you this conversation before we dive in. Let's discuss this week's hot tip. So it is the sleep oil from Vitruvi. So it's just an essential oil. It's their sleep blend. And I have become so obsessed with it. So essentially what I do every night is um, I, you know, I have the black stone um, diffuser from Vitruvi and I use the sleep oil and I feel like it always gives me a better sleep. It's just the, the room smells incredible. And I do think that 
scent and how we perceive uh, like scent memory, I guess, kind of builds habits and puts us in a specific mindset, which is why I love having that sleep diffuser oil kind of going off when I'm about to go to bed. It just relaxes me and gets ready for sleep. And obviously I take two of the array um, sleep capsules as well. And I swear to you guys, every morning I wake up before my alarm, I'm so refreshed and that combination is just chef's kiss. Also, if you haven't heard my episode with Vitruvi's founder, Sarah Panton, it is episode 145. It's a really good episode as well if you're into like entrepreneurship and want to hear a good foundry story. All right. Last thing before we dive into the episode, this week's review, and it comes to us from Gaylor Theorist. It says, my new obsession. Love this pod. Found it a few weeks ago and already 25 episodes in. Sif is so down to earth and brings on such a variety of guests. This is such a nice review. Thank you so much, Gaylor. And I have to say, guys, like there is no better way to support the show and tell me what you love about it and what you want to see more of. So if you haven't had a chance to leave a review yet, all you have to do is open the Apple podcast app, scroll down to the bottom where it says rate and review show. If you feel like I've deserved it, please leave me a five-star rating. And in the review section, tell me what you love about the show, who you want to see as a future guest, topics you're interested in. Any feedback you give me is so valuable and helps me shape the show to be the most value add in your day. So I so appreciate it and hope you take a second to do that. And with that, let's welcome Natalie Holloway of Bala Bangles to the Dream Bigger podcast. First thing I wanted to talk about was step one of starting Bala because it's this insane company and, you know, it just, it feels so big and I'm sure overwhelming for anyone who's like looking at it from the outside in. What was step one? It's, I mean, it's funny. We really like knew nothing about like building our own business or like working on a product operations like we knew nothing. So we really did take it like step by step. And I think for us, my husband and I and boyfriend at the time, like what we did know was we knew we knew marketing and branding and advertising. So we kind of like leaned into the Mm. things we did. We did know. But like step one was like making the product and making sure it was like a cool product because we had the idea. But then it's like you need like a proof of concept because we even told people it was like the ball of bangles, which was the first product. And we would explain it to people and they would just look at us like this is the worst idea ever. Yeah. So you need the product. So step step one was really like prototyping the product. But then you guys come from a marketing background. Like how do you even go about prototyping the product? Like did you work with someone specific to like help you come up with that? Because for for me, like even though I loved supplements, like I couldn't have created Array on my own. So like did you guys just like sit down and just draw it out one day? Yeah, I mean that that's really I think that's like one of the hardest parts is like yeah, no creating the product. <laughs> Honestly, supplements, I want to know about that later cuz that sounds really <laughs> really hard to create, but what that is what we did. Like literally we drew it out on a napkin, Max did, and essentially like drew it out like, like with a the bracelet. little block things. Yeah, like literally drew it out like a bracelet like it'll look like this. Wow, and he's so creative. He's very creative and he had this vision. He's like, it's a bracelet. And then basically drew drew it out. And then essentially we had to like make that something real. So normally you would do like a 3D drawing and like start to research the materials. But we, we didn't even know that was necessary. So first we reached out to a manufacturer, which we happened to like know because his uncles were in the toy business. So that was just like you know, along the way, there's a little bit of luck. Like that was one thing where we asked a lot of people and then somebody connected us to somebody who could do a prototype for Mm, us, basically. Okay. Okay. Yeah. But the 3D, you need to like create a 3D CAD file, which we didn't do at the time. We like handed them our drawing and we're like, can you make this? Oh my God. (laughs) I mean, it's always nice when you find someone who's like kind of like is able to help you in that early stage. Like engineering, because we did not know like the next step there, you know? Yeah, no, it's definitely not easy. So I was doing my research and you guys initially funded your business through Kickstarter, right? That is so scrappy and interesting. And I don't think I've had a single guest on here who actually used that modality. So if someone is like exactly where you were, where you didn't raise outside Mm -hmm. capital, you maybe didn't have like hundreds of thousands of dollars to put into your business to start it or however much you needed— how does someone use Kickstarter and why Kickstarter? Yeah, I mean, it was really, really scrappy. And we just knew that you could essentially pre-sell 
the product based on a prototype. And we needed $40,000 for our first production run. And we didn't have like any money to put towards the business, really. I think we put like $5,000 along the way, but Mm -hmm. it was like we didn't have money to put towards it. So we needed that $40,000. And I think someone, we, I had bought things off Kickstarter and there's usually, at that point, there were usually like cool ideas on Kickstarter. So I think that just felt like a natural like platform platform for us to explore because then we could just like post this cool like campaign, which we knew how to create and pictures of the prototype and also like test the market because mm-hmm. are people even going to buy it? And are people interested in this idea? Smart. And so it's like, it's kind of good to like even test your product. Not that Kickstarter customers are like real customers by any means, but it, it does like kind of help you understand whether like your product is viable. So yeah, I mean, we kind of thought it was a good idea to essentially pre-sell to sell for our first production run. To, and we didn't really know anything about raising money. So I don't even think that would have ever even been a consideration set for us Mm -hmm. early days, like to go raise outside capital. So back in 2019, I decided I was going to repaint my bedroom in Toronto. My God, you guys, I never realized what a hassle buying paint would be. Okay. (laughs) I went to the store, brought home these little swatches, went back, asked them to mix colors. There were so many choices. It was a nightmare. The amount of time it took me made me never want to paint a room again. It was horrible. Enter Claire, an innovative new e-commerce paint startup, because my God, does this industry need disruption. Claire takes the hassle out of paint shopping with a streamlined selection of designer curated colors, peel and stick paint swatches and premium paint and supplies delivered straight to your door was founded by a designer named Nicole Gibbons, who saw that the traditional paint shopping experience was outdated. So she decided to create a better brand and a whole new experience that's easier, faster, and more inspiring. Something I found so overwhelming about my paint picking experience was how many colors there were. I just had severe decision fatigue and Claire addresses that by focusing on fewer, better paint colors expertly curated through an interior designer's lens. They also have their peel and stick paint swatches, which you can just stick onto your wall to figure out what works best for your space. The brand also offers paint formulations that are zero VOC, green guard and gold certified for better indoor air quality and meets the most stringent chemical emission standards. Claire is also formulated without any toxic air contaminants, hazardous air pollutants, or EPA chemicals of concern. So it's paint that you can actually feel good about using in your home. Claire is offering you guys a special discount. Visit www.claire.com slash dream bigger to get started and receive $5 off your first gallon of paint. That's www.claire.com slash dream bigger for $5 off. Enjoy. This episode is brought to you by Babe Original for longer looking lashes in as little as six weeks. All right, guys, let me tell you about my lashes. They are thick, thick, like T-H-I-C-C. You know what I mean? And I won't beat around the bush here. It's single-handedly because of the Babe Original Essential Serum, which quite frankly, I myself am shocked at. I've never in my life had long lashes, okay? In fact, they've always been short and straight. And so in 2018, I started getting lash extensions. Of course, when 2020 rolled around and everything shut down, my lash extensions were the first thing to go. And my lashes were even shorter than what I started with in the first place. It was really quite tragic. I'm not going to lie. Now, obviously, over time, they grew back, but they are still insanely short or they were still insanely short. So I started using the Babe Original Essential Serum about nine weeks ago and never expected the results to be as good as they are. Trust me, guys, when I say I'm shocked, like I really, really mean it. They promise longer looking lashes in as little as six weeks. So I took pictures weekly. I could not believe the difference four weeks in and I did pictures seven weeks in and was just, uh, it was, it was off the charts. The results were off the charts. My lashes look significantly longer. And when I wear mascara, let me tell you guys, it is a whole different ball game. Babe Original promises longer looking lashes in as little as six weeks and is so confident in their results that they have a 90 day satisfaction guarantee. Personally, I couldn't be more impressed. And this is one of those products that I'm going to be using for the rest of my life. Like I don't even travel without it. 
Babe Original has offered you guys a special code. Use the code DREAMBIGGER at checkout to save 15% off your order. You and your long lashes can thank me later. Do you want to start a company but have no idea where to begin? Or do you have dreams of becoming an influencer? Well, the Life with Mariana podcast is here to help. I'm Mariana Hewitt, a Los Angeles-based influencer and co-founder of the Clean Skincare line, Summer Fridays. Each Tuesday, I'm talking to my friends from business owners, wellness experts, and more to share all of their best advice for you to live your best life. Make sure to tune in and subscribe to my podcast and follow me on Instagram at Mariana underscore Hewitt to see what's coming up each week so you don't miss an episode. So talk to me about like the process of setting up a Kickstarter and even getting it out to people to like put money in like what was that whole process like yeah I mean now it's like it's a whole business in itself like there's like companies that you pay money to set up your kickstarter and market it now what? yeah like it's a whole thing like if you go on kickstarter like a lot of the top ideas are like very professionally run because they're run from like incubators so wow. it's a step it's a little bit of a different thing but then what we did was we essentially like we shot a campaign with the prototype like just like a girl doing yoga in the field and we talked like I think there was like voiceover on it like this is like a yoga weight it was yoga weight at the time and essentially like talk about the product and why it's important and then then you essentially just set up the platform it's really easy to set up a campaign Mm -hmm. you just need like pretty campaign graphics and like I think we had pictures of the prototype and the 3d sketch and things like that And then marketing it is like a whole other beast where you basically have to like shamelessly reach out to friends and family or like pass out postcards to random people. So were you just like sending like emailing people like the link to your Kickstarter? Yeah. Like I was like, please. It was like, please buy one. It's like embarrassing when I look back. But honestly, you got to do what you got to do. It was very much like best friend, please buy like four. Yeah. Yeah. No, listen, I think part of an entrepreneurship journey is like just being okay with being embarrassed. Yeah. And now I hooked them up with bangles. So we're good. (laughs) So you just like sent it out to literally everyone, you know, and then was it also them sending out to people they knew or like, yeah, you like shamelessly ask people to send it out. But I think there's also other versions, like some people who have a little bit of money can do like paid Facebook advertising or, you know, like throw a party you know, like you can you can get more creative with it. Like if I went back, I could like throw some parties and maybe like pass out some postcards. But at the time, what we did was we really just like posted about it relentlessly and like asked people to, to pass it around. Well, I think like the two things that you said, number one is Facebook ads. I don't think a lot of people know about this, but it's like pretty well known amongst like I think people who've like are already entrepreneurs. Mm. So Nish talks about this a lot that like if we could go back in time and we could like almost like test out the concept. I mean, we were lucky because I had like my community who like tested array prior to us going live and they were our focus group. But like I think going out on Facebook ads and just like creating a prototype and almost like sending people to this like pre-sell page is such a smart way of doing that as well. Like I think it's for sure like you can and you can do like minimal ad spend, but like get the awareness. Yeah. And then you can see that like what's the interest around the product? Because like when you do launch, like you're going to have to spend money on ads and like it's a good way to gauge if it's profitable, like, you know, what your customer acquisition cost is like way earlier before you study your audience and try to see like what people are saying, because you really want to listen to the negative feedback early days as much as you can and pivot from there. Yeah, totally. So then did you hear any negative feedback? Like what was like when you were kind of like out there with this like version one of Bala Mm -hmm. or was that kind of what it ended up being? I mean, the prototype looked completely different. It like wasn't even weighted just because it was a prototype. But people, I think we did get some negative feedback. Like why would anybody need this? Uh Like people don't need this there's always like haters you know we definitely had haters so then when you did go to market with it was that the final product that you went to market with like after you kind of like waited out the prototype Mm -hmm. is that what the ball of angle is today yeah I mean the the product that exists in the market now is just a better version because along the way we have improved the velcro and we've made them monochromatic and we've made like design tweaks like there's probably been like seven versions Mm, like just getting incrementally better but like if I put them next to each other like they look the same oh very cool so I mean different like colors and things like that but I think you know we have improved along the way basically super super cool so you finish your kickstarter campaign then what like where do you put the money 
Well, the money literally went into our first production run. run. Yeah. Oh. So like we, I forget the exact number of bangles we were able to order, but it was enough to order, you know, a certain amount to fulfill the Kickstarter orders. But then also we had a certain amount of inventory to then sell on our site. So from there, it was really sales funding growth. And like each time we would sell it of inventory, we would be able to fund a little bit more growth or the next production run. So it was very much like, From there, it was like launching a real business. I mean, you were so scrappy and you did a Kickstarter campaign, which everything went into the production run. How do you get the product out in front of people? Because, I mean, you know, I think that this is something that people are just curious about because, again, like you see a company like Bala and it seems like you have all of this marketing dollars, but you don't. So how did you initially get that interest? Like what were a couple of things that like tips that you can pass on to any Mm -hmm. new entrepreneurs? I mean, really early days, it was like shamelessly like bringing your product everywhere, wearing your product everywhere. I would like wear it to a yoga class and like really hope that like some girls were looking at me wondering, what is that? You know, Mm -hmm. and like I would also have my sisters do that. My best friends do that. And I think, you know, so it was a lot of that. It was organic social because it's free. So you might as well be posting every day on at that time. It was like pretty much mainly Instagram, I think. So organic social and then gifting. So we, you know, I think gifting is still a huge part of the business in general. So reaching out to, and if you're brand new starting out and you have like a thousand followers, it's like reach out to smaller micro influencers. Cause I mean, you can still reach out to the big ones, but you might not get a response, but it's like gifting the product. If the product is good, likely people will post about it or they'll just start using it or want to work with you in some way. So I think gifting events, like any sort of thing that barely costs the company money, basically. When you were creating it, did you know that social media would be like a huge modality for you guys? We had, yeah, we had two theories since it was like, you know, you wear it out and about whether it's like, of course you can wear them in the house. Uh And and during COVID, we got like more pigeonholed in the at-home world, but really the product was made for like out in the world. So we had two theories that, you know, people would be out in the world wearing them or in a yoga class. And then everybody in that class would see the product and say, wait, why am I not leveling up as well? Like I'm taking the same classes. I may as well like make it just a little bit harder. So that in real life. And then the other theory was online. So people are already kind of like posting maybe a little less several years ago, but like posting gym selfies, posting themselves, working out, doing a yoga flow. And it's like, so our theory was like both in real life and online, people would wear them and then you can't like not notice them. You know, you're wearing your your yoga outfit, but then you have these bangles on. What are they? Oh, are those weights? You know, they just like intrigue interest. And I think so, yes, we had the theory on that both that would be like a word of mouth marketing and it, and it did work. Well, I mean, it's really the first like body slash hand weights that I'd ever seen that was like actually like gorgeous. Like you wanted to wear it. Like I, what what year did you guys launch? March of 2018. Yeah, yeah I remember seeing yeah. it like slowly, slowly pop up in like 2019. And I was so curious because I'd like, you're like, what is that? Yeah. I was like, that looks so cool. And like, you know, when I felt like, you know, it's like weights, people wearing these weights to these classes. And I was like, this is so fucking cool. Like someone really thought of like making this like weird thing from the eighties and like make it this like Instagrammable, like really cool thing. Yeah, exactly. We kind of just like, you know, you can't not notice them and you're you just are at least if you have no exposure to them, you're like, what is that? And then you kind of have a light bulb moment. So yeah, that was kind of like the theory. That's why we did a bunch of cool colors and like try to lean a lot more into fashion because we were like, okay, then people will wear them out, which happens, mm-hmm. or at least in photos. Were you guys mostly like e-commerce or were you kind of like pitching to like retailers and stuff as well? So that was another early strategy that helped us in like the scrappy days was basically we said retail we would be part of our story because and and back then it was like I say back then it's like you know five years ago four years ago but it was like still very much about D to C yeah like D to C was like the sexy thing mm-hmm. to do but early days we just said let's do retail and D to C because if we sell to like the cool retailers like Goop or Free People or Nordstrom then they're going to advertise on our behalf. So where we don't have marketing dollars, like we're going to sell to these people. They're going to do an email blast. They're going to do an Instagram post. Like they're marketing because that's part, they have to anyway. And so I think that was like what our like 
strategy was into getting into retail. And then as well, since we didn't have a ton of ad dollars to spend, it was like almost like blitz the market as well. So it's like that was and I still think now, especially with like D2C being more challenging, I think retail is like now everyone is like has to be part of, you know, your business strategy. And so, yeah, I think that's kind of like our theory with with retail. I agree. I think that brands do have to look into being omni-channel. Like I think that now with all the changes with like D2C, I think Mm -hmm. it's like the smart thing to do. But if someone is interested in like getting their product into retail, where did you start? So, yeah. And that's another thing. I didn't even know that wholesale, at least in, in, you know, most consumer goods goods is like 50% off. Like, you know, you sell, you know, it's like, people don't know that. I didn't even know that. I didn't even know things like that. So basically I didn't know anything. I didn't know what a line sheet was. I didn't know anything. So I asked a friend that was in sales and like tried to figure out, like make our line sheet, things like that. But what we did was we made a list of where we wanted to be, but also like more importantly, we started the list with like, what are like the anchor brands that will like validate us so that if other retailers here were in Goop, it's like an automatic yes. So we almost like prioritized getting into like the dream ones, even if not the huge ones, but like dream ones that we could put in a pitch email that says like, we're in Goop. Like, don't you want us in your store as well? And they'd be like, cool. So essentially what we did was we we really just like stalked the buyers either on Instagram or LinkedIn. And we would just like reach out to them and say, can we can we please like set up a meeting or let you try our product? And then if they liked it, they would buy it. And I think like that's a snowball effect because you get into some of the you get some traction and then it's easier to get more traction. And then you have people reaching out to you. Another thing we did early was go to a few trade shows. And so that's great because it's like you can land, you know, several accounts at one of those trade shows. And that just really helps the momentum. They're expensive, but it's it's worth it. I didn't even know what trade shows were when I when I, I launched a ray. I had <laughs> no clue. Like now, have you been to one with a ray? No, oh, not yet. That would be cool. You yeah. Should. Well, we are. We're yeah, going okay. to one in November. But like, it's interesting because I didn't realize that at a trade show you can find everyone from retailers to manufacturers. Yeah, and we I, found one of our manufacturers right now that way actually. Yeah. yeah. So that's why we're going because we want like like a, a new manufacturer, like just like more yes. more manufacturers yes. basically. But it's interesting because when we launched Array, it was like just me researching like a mad woman until I found like a manufacturer I really yeah. liked and who could hit our minimum order quantity and the organic yeah. and blah, blah. But people don't know that like trade shows are helpful. So I'm glad you brought it up. <laughs> they really are. And honestly, we we even met like brand partners, like, you know, meeting a brand like yours there and then saying like, hey, you're in L.A., we're in L.A., let's do a hike, like, for our community together. And so I think, like— We should do that. We should definitely do that. Let's do that. Let's definitely do that. But, yeah, so I think you there's all sorts of connections you can make at a trade show. And then just, like, pick and choose the ones, like, get the smallest booth if you can't afford it, you know? Things like that. So yeah, people don't even realize. So like it's it's just I'm glad you brought up the trade show thing because it's never come up in a conversation. And it's like people don't know. I'm gonna look into all of them because yeah. this is like a new world to me. And I'm like, I oh. bet there's like wellness. Yeah, there. there's, there's you should like, just check it out. Yeah, I'm I'm going like to, stop like, by as like a I'm stopping by too. But. That's what I mean. We're just attending one in November, but I'm gonna look into this as well. Yeah. What was the inflection point for you guys? Like, what was the moment that like you were like oh shit, like we're really, really in the big boy league now. I mean, it's like, there's been so, you know, there's been like moments along the way and then every day we're like still like, you know, it's like you're up and you're down. Even like now my husband's like, you know, like it's just. Always, but like, do you remember like specific like big moments that we were like, oh my God. Cause like I have those as well where it's like certain markers that I would like, you know, we we suddenly like did a hundred grand in a month and it was like unheard of. And there was like a catalyst to get us there. So did you have things like that too? Yes, yes, definitely. I think we had several moments along the way. I think like early days, like getting in Goop or free people was like 100% one of those moments. I was like, wait, this is like, going to be a thing or we got into shape magazine early days kind of and I felt like that was a huge deal like in this in the physical magazine obviously the shark tank moment that's when that was just like a surreal like this is a moment but there was definitely several like little moments I can think of along the way where it was like oh wow that was this feels real was there ever like early days where like a large influencer a celebrity posted about you and like it was like a like up 
Yeah, I think, and and that's harder to happen these days because, yeah, like, totally. once you get and you might be at that point too, where it's like you ex- you're like, oh, this person has like 10 million followers. They post it and literally nothing happens. So it's 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 interesting. But early days, that stuff absolutely happens. Melissa Woodhealth was one of the people I think she posted in like same instant sales. same. Yeah, she was like a catalyst for us to like really like have our business take off. Like yeah. I always talk about this because she's a good one. Like she's incredible. Yes. And there's a few like that, that yeah. like if they post, it's still like dry, like moves the needle. But like, yeah, I think there's. She was insane. Like, yeah. Just insanity. I mean, I'm very grateful to her. I love her. Yeah. I think there's certain people that just like just convert because people want to know their product recommendations and what they're using. Also, I think that tip for brands as well is to look out for influencers who like to recognize brands in their early stages. And I think that Melissa is one of them where like, I will hear of a brand that like no one's talked about from her and Mm. then it starts to blow up almost, you know, because it's like a flywheel sort of. But I think like there's some influencers who are like just like early adopters, I've mm-hmm. noticed. And I think like it's just good to Which know Which is who they really are. helpful. And that's why it's like cast a wide net whenever you are yeah. early stage. Like reach out to the micro ones, the one that are likely to respond. But then also, you know, dream big too, because you never know where like a, your product like could speak to somebody who's big. Totally. And can actually help you. Yeah. Exactly. So you guys were on Shark Tank. Okay. <laughs> so I know that it was an inflection point for you. Talk to me about like what happened first when like the the episode went live. Was it like insane sales? Yeah, we, okay. So when Shark Tank happened, it's, it's so crazy. Like I was, we had a huge viewing party in LA and it was two weeks before the world shut down too. So it was like almost everyone who was there. It was everyone (laughs) who was there and it was like a big party is like, this was the last party I was at. So anyway, the last party a lot of people were at was that. And it was funny because anyway, there's the the East Coast airing. Mm-hmm. And essentially, so I was like getting my hair and makeup done, like getting ready for my party. And the East Coast happens. And then there's so many people on your site, like more than you could ever imagine. It just keeps going up. I don't even remember, maybe 10,000, 20,000, like something. That's a cra- huge for crazy a brand. Num- yeah. Like it was a crazy number on the site instantly. And it just kept going up. And then, you know, then I think we sold out on Amazon instantly. And we had, I don't remember how much product. I don't even want to quote, but like a lot of product there. And then we didn't sell out on Shopify on the East Coast, but on the West Coast, we did sell out on Shopify. And then it airs the next day. So it's like, I think maybe we sold out the next day on Shopify, but it was just like, you can't even imagine. Like you're like, nothing like moves the needle that much. And I think it's like, you know, the whole... U.S. is watching. I think there's like 6 million people or something that view it like within 24 hours. So the, yeah, the sales were instant and insane. That is bananas. (laughs) So tell everyone what it's like to apply for Shark Tank. Like, how do you even get picked? And what made you decide to go on Shark Tank? Yeah, so we applied. I think there's several ways to apply, but we basically like sent an email application and then they they reach out to you and you talk to the producers. But then it's like this like courting period where who knows how many people they're even talking to, maybe like thousands at the early stage or maybe a couple hundred. I don't really know. But then they weed it down along the way and you're like consistently sending in videos and like pitching them. Then you have to have a cool idea for going on stage. And you basically talk to the producers every week for several I think months, maybe at least a month or two, at least two. Yeah. And then basically, because people hit that, you get hit up at various stages, I think in the casting process. And then they're like, okay, we're going to book your flight to LA, whatever it is. And then you basically start planning your like scene for the stage. So basically like ordering your backdrop, ordering all this, but the whole way, like you could be out at any minute for any reason. So you're always kind of like, it's not, nothing's guaranteed even after you film basically. So it's a little bit unsettling if you're not like, you like used to that sort of thing. It can be very unsettling, but basically, yeah. And then they're like, book your flight, come to LA. And then you go to the studio and then they pull you on stage and you have like one shot basically. Oh my God. <laughs> so even the like the audition process is like so lengthy. Yeah. Yes, definitely. I mean, I think there's like thousands of brands that are considered. 
Is there so, anything in person or is it just all like videos and email? And- I think there are castings, kind of like American Idol. I think they go to different cities and do like, I think, mm-hmm. in-person castings. Yeah. Maybe not since COVID. I didn't go to one of those. So I think there's like several ways in. And I do know that Shark Tank also reaches out to you. Like it, like they they could potentially reach out to you. You know what I mean? Like they they also see cool brands that are different. And they, they also do their own casting. So I've heard of like friends or something that have been casting along the way and like potentially Shark Tank reached out to them. So there's, I think, several ways in. But yeah, it's a lengthy process. So that's why it's like, if you don't have the stomach for it, it's can be unsettling because you're never, nothing's guaranteed even after you close a deal, after you've pit, I mean, after you've already aired and all, I mean, sorry, not aired, after you've already filmed and all that's that. That's insane. So you make it through, you get to set the day you're supposed to film. What happens? Like, Talk to me about like the pitch process. Like were you guys like, had you guys rehearsed it a bunch of times? Because you guys got two sharks and you guys got Mark Cuban, which is like a good one and a tough one. Tell me about the whole experience. It was, it's like still the scariest thing I've ever done, I think. Well, no, by far. (laughs) And basically, so you get there and it's just scary because you don't really know what to expect. And you you only know what you've seen on TV, which they can tear you apart. Mm -hmm. And you have one shot. So anything could happen. You can mess up on your lines or, you know, they could hate you because your valuation is too large. So it's very intimidating and scary. And you're kind of waiting around on set and in your trailer, like, a while, like several hours, like hair and makeup done. Like I'm just waiting and like building up my anxiety. So we were extremely nervous. We practice a ton going in, which helps. So we like rehearse everything. We printed out Google Docs upon Google Docs of like, you know, every possible question we could be asked and like wow. answered. And and one thing that really helped was doing a panel like the night prior, I believe, with friends where they were the sharks and they like tore us apart and I think that was just like helpful for some reason. But yeah, we rehearsed a lot. We were like, we got one shot. Oh my God. Did and you-, you have to like pull in your inner confidence because even if you rehearse a lot, like you have to appear confident up there. So it's a lot of like mental Did you work. Did you want Mark and did you know that Maria was going to be a guest judge when- We found doing- out Maria was there like I think the day before or something. Wow. And that was perfect. It was perfect. Like, it was so hell? perfect. Yeah, it was perfect. And so I think, yes, because you have to like play out every scenario with your partner because sometimes they get mad at you if you like think about it on stage. Have, have you ever seen an yeah. episode where they like get and then they take their offers yeah, back? So yeah. we had to play out every possible scenario. And our dream going in was Mark and Maria. And and that's like we've like visualized that. And so, yeah, I think we we knew that's the deal we wanted to take. And so… And what was the deal that you did for someone who's not watched the show? So it was $900,000 for 30% of the company. And at the time, we went in for three hundred dollars for 10%. Wow. Like, we gave away a lot of the company looking back, but it's like, you know, no regrets. Do you, and you, you, like, no regrets? Like, you feel like you are happy with your decision? Yeah, I mean, we definitely, like, they got a, a good deal. And yeah, no they were shit. sharky about it. Yeah. But we didn't really, like, just know it as much as we do now about valuations and things like that. But also, I don't regret it, no, because they've been amazing partners and are only partners. So I think, you know. Can you discuss actually a little bit about why it's important to be strategic about like who you bring on from like, you know, like a partner standpoint? Because I think that like whether people go into Shark Tank or they're just raising money, I think it's really important to be cognizant of bringing on partners who you can actually lean on and who fill in certain gaps that perhaps you don't have exposure to, you know? Yeah, I mean, they always say it's like, you know, it's like a marriage and it really, really is because it's like, so I think it's like date the person and understand, like understand what you want from that person. Like, are you just wanting a paycheck? Are you wanting some strategic partnership? Because I think a lot of times they like promise things like VCs and things like that. Like they promise Jick help but maybe it's really a check. And I think you have to like really dig in there and like find out specifically like, okay, you're going to help me with hiring. Like, because maybe they'll say like, we're going to help put like some C-suites in there and like get the right people at your company. It's like, how specifically are you going to help me with hiring? Like, do you have the candidates in mind? Like, what are you going to connect me? Like, I think just being really upfront and like specific on how they're going to help you. And then also like, making sure you review the contract like crazy because I think there can be some definite like, you know, sharky things snuck in there. I mean, you know, if anyone's seen like Silicon Valley type shows, you know, so I think just like making sure that you have like a really good lawyer 
reviewing the the document. Yeah. And I, like, don't give away too much equity if you don't have to. Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree. So are you able to lean on Mark and Maria like as you as you see fit, basically? Yeah. They're yes. They're as involved as we want them to be. Like Maria's doing an event with us at our store in a few weeks. Wow, and, amazing. you know, we did something with Mark recently. So they're very like helpful as as much as we need them to be. But they're not like like bosses like I think some investors could be. Yeah, I, I like I think that that really is the way to go because it really is like a like a mutually beneficial relationship, you know, and so yes. I think that that's kind of how, what it has to reflect for sure. So you guys haven't raised any outside capital outside of Shark Tank? No, just the Shark Tank. Oh, wow, that's incredible. How have you guys continued to kind of build on the momentum of the brand without like throwing marketing dollars at it? Because I think that, you know, so many entrepreneurs who are like maybe thinking of getting started, maybe they just have this idea. They're almost intimidated that, you know, how will my brand make it if mm -hmm. I don't have all this money to keep it afloat? Yeah, I mean, it is hard because it's it's like it's like counterintuitive. I talk about it all the time with my like partner, like how, how is it that as you grow, you need more money, like more money for inventory, more money for marketing. It's just counterintuitive. It mm -hmm. doesn't make sense. Mm -hmm. You would, but it, but it is the case. So I think, I think what we, what we try to do is like, you know, remain like true to our roots and how we started and really like question every dollar that goes out of the business mm -hmm. and like try to not spend like frivolously and, you know, make sure like every dollar that goes out is like yielding a return and I think we really like try to do this. And, you know, of course, sometimes there's times where you take a chance and you like invest in something big, a new site or, you know, like a pop-up store in New York, you know, something like that. I think that's also important for like innovation and keeping the customer interested. But I think I still just like, that's just like our mindset is like, since we aren't VC backed, like we have to just like really think about every dollar we spend. And so make sure that it's like very much a test than invest approach. Mm -hmm. So even if we're like trying direct mail or like a new ad campaign on Facebook, it's like make sure that we go small. If it works, you can throw more money at it. But like, you know, don't invest too much. I think it's really smart that you do that. Nish and I have this rule with an array that take the biggest risk possible that doesn't kick you out of the game because we bootstrapped for a very long time. And, you know, we didn't have the privilege of, you know, fucking up and yeah. someone was going to bail us out. Like if we fucked up, we were dead. Yes. You know, exactly. and so I think like for us as well, like I completely agree with you that like if you do like small tests and then kind of build up mm -hmm. based on the results you see is like a very smart way of doing it. And then also like then those tests can get like bigger and bigger as you have a little bit more capital to play around with. Exactly. Exactly. So I think that's really important. I think that's like just a good way to like run your business regardless. But you kind of have to if you're not VC back. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> totally. So you guys have done a fantastic job building community. How have you done that? And what are some tangible tips you can share with our audience? We really listen to the customer. Like I am like oftentimes, like I used to do a lot of the customer service emails, but like oftentimes my way of like having a beat on the customer is like checking DMs a lot and just like understanding like what people are saying, what people want, like who our customer is. And I think like having a really good beat on the customer is really important because then you can say, you know, what would I want if I was in their shoes? What is the, you know, do they want like more like community events in LA you know, and I think so listening to the customer and like what they want and then also just like after you listen, like kind of like, you know, either build, building events. I think events are like a good a good thing and a huge part of like our brand in general, because I think it like just builds that brand love. And I think you get like, you know, the super fans and you get to like meet them and talk to them. But then also like surprise and delight moments, like the cute stickers on your phone. It's like giving those to everybody for holiday, like just like things like that. And I think we're talking about even like extending that further and doing, you know, surprise and delight moments on customer service. Like somebody says they're a new mom and we send them like a care package that's not Bala related, you know? So I think really just like those are kind of my my tips or what we're doing. I <laughs> love that because I feel like same, exact same, because we used to get customer service calls on Nisha's cell phone for like a year and a half, two years. You know, it That's was tough. Like it was for a long time. And, <laughs> and so he would answer. 
Yeah. Oh, that's we like did that on purpose. Hard. Like, yeah, yeah. because I mean, you want to know what they're saying. Yeah, exactly. And then all of a sudden, when they know that they're speaking to the founder, then they like give you a lot of feedback or like yeah. if it's just bad, like then, you know, you can speak to them and be like, but why? Like what part of it? And then, you know, if there's another way that we can help them, then that's kind of what we do, mm-hmm. you know? And so it's just, it's really good to listen to customer feedback and I think be connected to them. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think a lot of brands, sometimes they just focus on influencers and influencers alone. But I think that's something you guys have done well. And like something that we also really focus on is treating your customers like influencers as well. Like mm-hmm. I say this until I'm blue in the face, but you know, those events that you have for your super fans, those, you know, surprise and delight moments or those care packages, like all of that going to your customer is something so different from maybe what another brand would do. So I think it's like, it's scrappy, but it's smart because it builds crazy loyalty. Yeah. And then this is like one area where it's like, you know, do things that are not revenue driving just to do them, you know, just to like for the brand, for the love of your customer. So I think doing stuff like that is important too. Totally. Do you remember the first event that you had for customers? I think it was a hike with your of ours in LA. I love that. Yeah. I think it's like, again, it's- and then we like did a bunch of hikes with your of ours early days. And that was that was fun. It's not expensive. That's the thing. And it's fun. You get to meet like some like brand loyalists and, you know, chat. It's awesome. I love doing events for our customers. Like we do dinners for them. And like, it's so it's so how do you even decide who to invite? It's basically either our top engaged community members on Instagram, like just like customers who constantly engage like in LA or something. Wherever we are. Yeah. So we did, we started with one in LA and we did like tiny, like mm-hmm. six people or sorry, eight people. It was like really small, but it was crazy because these women who were like just so sweet and like real, like loyalists to the brand, they had never had an experience like that. And they couldn't believe that like we had invited I them out to dinner. Idea. Isn't that such that a fun is, idea? Like, seriously, that's awesome. And then we scaled it little by little. So then we did one in Toronto mm-hmm. when Nish and I were there. And that was another awesome one. And we met, because we're from Toronto, we met customers who were like our first ever customers. Like yeah. literally our first ever customers. That's so cool. I love that. It was so, so cool. And then we did one in New York, which was like the bigger one. That yeah. It was, it's it's just been awesome. Like I love it's that so idea. great to connect that's like with them. Really, that's a really good one. Yeah. So and you could just ongoing do that. Exactly. And like it doesn't have to be like every month, but like maybe once a quarter. Yeah. And like you can build up and, you know, have it be this thing that your community is a part of that like we throw, you know, events for influencers all the time. But like what about honoring your community? And like that's amazing. You know, th- like word of mouth is huge. Yeah. Like it's insane. Yeah. You know, and they don't get to go to stuff like this all the time with brands. So yeah. I think it's like special that we get to That's do it. That's really special. Thanks. I love that. <laughs> okay. So I want to end the show with a rapid fire. Oh, okay. <laughs> so first question is, what is one habit that is a non-negotiable for you? Baths. Really? <laughs> Tell yeah, me your like, bath products. I <laughs> It's really funny. I don't even shower. I only bathe exclusively. It's like Seriously? Yeah, it's like my husband makes fun of me, but and I yeah, usually with my little baby, but yeah, baths are my non-negotiable. What do you use? Like what's your favorite? I like this. I forget this mask I've been using the brand, so I can't say it. But no, it's really just about the ritual of it. Okay, you know, it's okay. like I'm chilling and I'm like almost like meditating there you know so it's like it's like almost like my 10 minute of meditation a day sort of thing you need to teach me your ways <laughs> I have never been a, a bath person ba- no oh I think I'm I like, love it I'm I've, like I've done like three in my life me, like lay oh you don't okay wow I need to do it though it's sounds... just so much more relaxing than standing up in the shower I will give that to you okay <laughs> if you could recommend a book that everyone should read what would it be this is like a founder book, but Let My People Go Surfing. Ooh, I've never it's, heard of it. It's about the Patagonia founder, but it's just like a very interesting way of running your company and like m- making employees like like entrepreneurs and like free to, you know, basically, you know, sink or swim. And it's a, it's a very good book about culture. 
I love that. I'm totally going to read it. Two of my favorite founder like books, like memoirs are from the Juicy Couture founders. Have you read that one? No. What is it called? It's so good. It's called, I think, The Glitter Plan. It's like truly one of my favorite memoirs. Yeah, it's it's The Glitter Plan. Glitter Plan. You know, they never raised. They built their entire business on a line of credit from the bank over and over, like rolling lines of credit. Yeah. Okay. I'm going to listen to that. Also, they're making a comeback. I know they really are. And I'm rooting for them, honestly. And they like talk about their whole journey, like the whole like inflection point and then like kind of what went wrong and like why, why like basically like became unfortunately like they ever sell it. They did sell it. And that was the that was was the the issue. Yeah, that was the demise because they sold to people that didn't ultimately end up being the right fit. And, you know, it, it, it was just a crazy story. I got all of that. It's I actually amazing. don't know, besides like being like a consumer at one point and then knowing the fall a little bit, it's like, I don't really know anything you about know that brand. So intimately, like you hear all the details, amazing. And then the other one is Chip Wilson. He's the founder of Lululemon. Yeah. That was another good memoir as oh, well. Oh, really? Yeah, okay, yeah. I got to like, read that, I, especially if it feels kind of relevant. <laughs> yeah, it, and it, again, like you, you hear everything from like, who he is, like why he started the brand, like what it was like early days. And then like, you know, after he left and like, also I think it's interesting because it's, it's just good to get a first person perspective on like all the different scenarios Mm -hmm. that can happen to founders. Like for him, for example, he had to leave his company, you know, and like, what is that like? Or like, what is it like when sadly you sell the company to what seems like a good partner? And then it's like a shit partner, like in the a cautionary tale, yeah. yeah. So I love all sorts of sto- stories like that. Yeah, building so, businesses. And now I'm going to read your one, and you read mine. Yeah, perfect. <laughs> okay, last question: If you could go back in time and give yourself a piece of advice when you started Bala, what would it be? I would say, I mean, it's like I could say the basic thing of like, it's all going to work out. But I think I would probably go back and tell myself something not to do. Okay, you know what? What was so, that? Well, actually, it's like there's lots of mistakes we made along the way, but one of the early mistakes we made was getting into like this one retailer that was like issued a crazy huge PO, and we were like, "This is awesome!" And at the time, Mark Cuban was like, "You probably shouldn't do that. Like, you should probably like dip your toes in." And we we're like, "Ah, what does he know?" And then we did it, and it was a mistake. Like, it just wasn't a brand fit. They returned some inventory. They also like pulled out of some of the POs. So we were left with like a ton of inventory that we didn't need of certain products. So that was like a big, huge mistake for the brand because of the size of those orders. So I would tell myself, don't do that. I actually <laughs> love that tip. And, you know, I think that, again, like with retail, people don't realize what Start it's like. Small. Start small. Exactly. There's no, like, it's not the worst thing in the world if you sell out. It's like a cool story. Sell out, get them more inventory later. Totally. Like, don't take a, the giant PO. Like, make sure it's a product, a brand fit. Yeah, that's an incredible tip. Okay, Natalie, tell everyone where they can find you, shop Bala, all of those things. Oh, yeah. Okay, so shopbala.com, at Bala on Instagram. And can they follow you? Oh, yes. At NN Holloway. Amazing. I need a better Instagram handle. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for coming on. This was so fun. Thank you. So fun. Thank you so much for listening. If you loved the episode and feel like it brought you value, don't forget to rate the show and leave a review. It takes five seconds and really helps the show grow so I can keep bringing on awesome guests. If you want to follow me behind the scenes, you can find me on Instagram at Sif And don't forget to hit subscribe so you don't miss a thing. I drop new episodes every Tuesday, so come hang with me and shoot the shit with some really smart people, learn and unlearn, and have a lot of fun. See you next week.